My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Monday the 27th of February. I'm Sam. I'm Zara. After three years of wet weather, you might expect that the fire risk of this next summer is going to be pretty low. But actually, a new report says that Australia is primed to burn with a potentially devastating fire season ahead. And in some cases, fires are already burning. An emergency warning has been issued for Flowerdale, where a fast-moving grass fire is threatening homes. It's burnt through more than 250 hectares. So what's behind this risk and what can be done about it? David Carroll, climate researcher for the Climate Council, will be joining us to explain what you need to know in the deep dive. But first, let's do the headlines. Leading the news this morning, the Queensland government announced on Saturday it will allow pill testing services for the very first time. The move came amid a government commitment to, quote, reduce risks and harms associated with illicit drug use, with Queensland's health minister saying the process would inform people what chemical substances are in their drugs. The government confirmed the new scheme would not relax police powers relating to drug possession or supply. The U.S. National Transportation Safety Board has found that the toxic train crash that resulted in a chemical spill in Ohio this month was, quote, 100% preventable. It's understood that nearly 44,000 animals have died as a result of the toxic crash. Efforts by finance ministers of the world's 20 largest economies to deliver a unanimous condemnation of Russia's invasion of Ukraine have failed at the G20 after China refused to agree on the wording of a joint statement. Instead of an official condemnation, a chair's summary was issued, which noted the disagreement. In the summary, the chair noted Russia's invasion, quote, is causing immense human suffering and exacerbating existing fragilities in the global economy. And the good news. New research has found that 29 Australian species may have recovered enough to no longer be listed as threatened. This includes 15 mammal, 8 bird, 4 frog, 1 reptile and 1 fish species, which could be up for reclassification. A new report from the Climate Council and Emergency Leaders for Climate Action is warning that Australia is primed to burn. But after wetter-than-average conditions and record-breaking rainfall and floods across several states over the last three years, I wanted to know why. And I thought a good person to ask would be Professor David Carley. He's from the Climate Council. He's an atmospheric scientist, formerly at the CSIRO, and he's been involved with working on assessment reports of the IPCC, which is the UN's assessment on climate change. David, thanks for joining us on the podcast this morning. You're most welcome, and I'm happy to join you. And it sounds like an interesting program, which I wasn't aware of, and an interesting audience. And they're very keen to learn a little bit more about the report that you've co-authored, which says that Australia is primed to burn. At a top line, why are we primed to burn? Yeah, so Dorothea McKellar wrote a poem, Australia is a land of droughts and flooding rains. We've had those flooding rains And it's due to ocean temperature variations in the Pacific. We've had La Nina events that have led to increased rainfall over eastern Australia uh, for the last three years. And it's very unusual to have three repeated La Nina events. But what it's meant is that extra rainfall 
has, you know, basically led to massive plant growth in much of eastern and southern Australia, throughout northern Australia, and even in the arid areas that are normally very dry, have mm. had massive greening. And that means the fuel loads for grasses and scrublands throughout Australia have t about five times more than the normal fuel load. And as soon as that, basically the rains have stopped, the grasses are drying out quickly and there have been outbreaks of grass fires in Victoria, just north of Melbourne, outbreaks of grass fires already in inland New South Wales in the Riverina area, outbreaks of grass fires in southern Queensland. And this powder keg of extra grass growth has provided more fuel for grass fires. And grass fires really move very, very quickly in strong wind conditions. Okay, so you're basically saying that three years of heavy rain has led to what you're describing as fuel, which is basically increased vegetation, which when it now goes very hot and dries out, you get a, a powder keg of, of an explosion of fire potential. That's exactly what I was trying to say. We just have to remember that it is, in fact, an explosive, if you like, background or framing that really makes the grass fires dramatically worse than they would have been at any stage for at least the last five or 10 years. And so the point of reference for a lot of us is the 2019-2020 bushfires. Is there a major difference between a grass fire and a forest fire, which is what we saw there? There are some very important differences. First of all, grass fires often occur away from forest country. Right. They move very, very quickly because often the, the fuel is just the, the grasses and scrub, you know, close to the ground. But their flames can still be 10 meters high or higher. So there's as equal risk to human life, destruction and property destruction. Is that right? There is. And it's important to recognize that, yes, the 2019 2020 black summer bushfires moved very quickly. Yeah. In many cases, the grass fires can move just as quickly or even more quickly because they're basically burning at the speed of the wind because the grass ignites really, really quickly. And often you'll get very strong winds and that causes very rapid movement of the fire front. Can you draw a line for me between the changing conditions that you're describing and now a new risk to Australians and the role of climate change? Uh, yes, we've had grass fires in the past, often after La Nina events, after the fuel has built up. What we're seeing now is the window for managing fuel in the wintertime, in the typical cooler, wetter season, is much narrower because of climate change and the somewhat hotter conditions. And so we've had one and a half degrees of warming across Australia in the last 100 years. The sorts of conditions we had in 2019, 2020 were unprecedented. Mm. We're not expecting as hot temperatures until the next El Nino event. But and when do you one, think that's going to oh, be? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, the Bureau of Meteorology is starting to warn for, not necessarily later this year, no certain El Nino event is likely, but they're actually talking about a 50-50 risk 
of an El Nino event with dry conditions in winter and drier conditions and hotter conditions in spring and summer starting later this year. We won't know for sure, probably for another three to six months, whether an El Nino condition is starting. But even a 50-50 risk of El Nino, together with climate change, which is amping up the extreme events. The heat waves are hotter. The extreme rainfall is more intense. The fire risk is more intense as well, whether it's grass fires or whether it's forest fires. And so we know that we need to plan for extreme fire risk, both through April and May in southern Australia, as well as through much of this coming spring and summer when we get the temperatures increasing again as normal and even worse if it's in an El Nino event. So it sounds like whether it's an El Nino event or not, we still need to prepare. How do we prepare short term? Uh, Look, that's a really good question. And the most important thing to do is seek to manage the fuel load. And that means cutting down any scrubs, reducing any, you know, dried up litter and particularly mowing grasses around buildings, mowing grasses around fences, even on roadsides, it is critically important if to get the council to cut the grasses. It sounds like a it sounds like a weirdly simple way to address this risk, mowing the lawn. Uh, yes, but it's critically important to also recognize that the grass will grow again and you have to try to keep it short. When the grass is green, it's unlikely to end up being, you know, fuel for a grass fire. Yeah. But boy, with hot temperatures, it can really amplify in just a few weeks. We'll be back right after this. I've got one more question for you, David. I wanted to ask you about the process of actually conducting this research. Were you surprised by the dramatic findings? Uh, Well, look, we know that climate change is increasing the risk. Yes, La Nina has led to the predisposition for grass fires associated with the higher fuel loads. We've also got to recognise that climate change is not going away unless we have much stronger action to transition our society and our economy away from using fossil fuels. But ongoing climate change is locked in for at least the next 20 years, even if we rapidly reduce our emissions now. Sounds like it's up to our generation to um, steer the planet in the right direction. David, thank you so much for your time. Happy to be involved. Bye. Thanks for joining us on The Daily Oz. If you learnt something from today's episode, don't forget to hit subscribe so there's a TDA episode waiting for you every weekday morning. We'll be back again tomorrow morning, but until then, have a brilliant day. Listener.